Welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about a small-town postmistress who violates the federal mail code in order to solve murder so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Wish You Were Here by Rita Mae Brown. And also Sneaky Pie Brown. Yeah, how dare you leave out <laughs> Sneaky Pie's contributions? Yeah. <laughs> Joining us to discuss this cozy cat and dog mystery is mystery author and heir to the small town concrete fortune, Philip Modis. Hello. Hi, Philip. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Even after surviving <laughs> talking about Frank Miller, you're like, oh, give him another yeah. shot. That's <laughs> why so I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. Um, Philip was here for our controversial episode about uh, the Dark Knight returns yeah so many hot takes and all it's going viral (laughs) and all those hashtags (laughs) uh and so now for something completely different we (laughs) have read a cozy pet mystery that is truly wild truly i feel as if we could spend we could become like a podcast where we just do an episode about every chapter of this book like I think that we could do like 40 <laughs> episodes about this book. <laughs> yes. And then an additional episode just about Rita Mae Brown's Wikipedia page. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> that's for your that's for your uh your Patreons. That one you're gonna bring for the Patreons. But yeah, we dedicate ourselves to it's like fifty chap I mean, that's a year yeah. of work if we really put it in. So yeah, this is our, I think this we is could our, do our, it. This is our sneaky pilot episode for that. If this does yes. well. Our our sneaky pie pilot. Sneaky <laughs> pie pilot. So before we get too deep into this, which we're already like rolling in it, there are some content warnings for this. And um, there is of course murder because it's a murder mystery. There's also the the death of animals, which is sometimes more upsetting than when people die. Yeah. Just depending on who you ask. There's some really odd ableism, like. Like ableism isn't funny, but the way that the ableism is deployed in this book is a little funny. Yes. <laughs> also, there's like fat phobia, but directed oh, yeah. at cats. <laughs> Still fat phobia. Still count. yeah, body body shaming. Yeah. Also, I sound like a monster, and I apologize. So, mm. content warning for I'm going to sound like this the whole time, and I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's okay, don't you're not contagious through the podcast though. That's <laughs> fine. Oh, did you have another like content warning to throw in here? Like uh, well my my joke one is that some of the names are outrageous. Oh, Rita Mae yes. Brown's name game is incredible. It's strong. Yeah. Uh but very strong. Too strong in some cases. I, I was gonna say it it's this is a cozy mystery in as much as it has those trappings. I mean it's like it's literally written co-written by the author's cat so i mean yeah it's it's in there but i was checking out some of the reviews on amazon and it was people were frustrated by the things that you're mentioning i mean like not the least which but i mean like there's swearing in it which like in a modern day cozy does not happen like you don't you don't get swears like that and it it kind of reminded me how this is a weird comparison but it's the way my mind works that if we think of punk rock, like the original punk rock, we think of like Ramones, we think of the clash and the sex pistols, but with the original groups at CBGBs, you also put the talking heads in there. So when you're thinking of original mm. punk punk rock, you're like, Oh yeah. And the talking heads and you're like, mm, 
they weren't what it became. Like it became some, it became black flag and bad brains. And this feels like the talking heads version of that, where it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's cozy ish, but yeah, you got to deal with some, a lot of other things that come in that the genre, like either cleaned up or pushed aside uh, in, you know, for better or worse for its, for its own perpetuation. Yeah, content content warning published in 1990. Yeah. yeah. I would be interested to see in the later books um how much of how much closer it veers towards cozy cuz it's yeah. felt pretty cozy to me, but I also I'm very like murder doesn't phase me. But I did notice the swearing cuz there was there was very little swearing but 90% of it happened at one time, yes. which we will I'm sure get to when we get to that part. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like it's like uh, one of them was just like, we got to put something in. Let's just bring this content warning up a little bit. Let's earn that PG-13 and just put them in there and then scare people off. But yeah, yeah. Sneaky uh, Pie yeah. Brown snuck in there after Rita May had wandered away and was Their like, name no, is they Sneaky should Pie. swear more. Their name is Sneaky. She's so Renata. Sneaky. Yeah. Did you yes. what what type what version of this book did you read? Did your version have the letter from Sneaky Pie Brown at the beginning? Oh, it sure did. <laughs> yeah, I read it. I, I read the ebook, and it had little illustrations of um, Mrs. Murphy and yes. Tucker, and I loved it. I listened to it on audio, and the author's note from Sneaky Pie was not there. But then last <laughs> night, I downloaded the Kindle version, um, just to have for this recording, and I saw it and was like, "Wow!" <laughs> yeah, Sneaky Pie is in it. <laughs> okay, so Rena Mae Brown. I want to talk about Rita Mae Brown for a oh my moment. God. I want to talk okay. about Rita Mae Brown for an hour. Yes. True. That's, our pa- That's our Patreon episode, yeah. everybody. Yes. Yeah. So this is the preview. Like, if you had asked me at Trivia Night or something, like, who's the author of, of Ruby, Fruit Dr- Ruby Fruit Jungle? I think in my brain I could have produced Rita Mae Brown, but it's not, like, front of mind enough for me that when when we had this book, I was like, oh, Rita Mae Brown, that, like, that Rita Mae Brown? Like, I didn't really think about it and also i was very distracted by sneaky pie brown the star um and then i got to the end of it and there's a photo of rita may brown where it's such a butch photo that i and it and it's you know blurry and my kindle version or whatever but i was squinting at it and i was like hang on like is rita may brown a pseudonym for a man and then i was because i like a lot of those cozy mysteries i think the last one that we read was like a man who writes under a woman's name because it's like cozier which i also feel like there could be a whole episode about like the weird gender politics of cozy mysteries which mm-hmm. i guess this sort of is but anyway i was like uh and then i looked her up and i was like oh my god no it's like rita may brown who wrote like iconic 70s lesbian novel ruby fruit jungle rita may brown who's like a huge queer rights activist a huge civil rights activist like very influential and then she wrote this like really pretty in a lot of ways regressive book and it's puzzling Mm. yeah it was when i opened the doc for the first time and saw that renata had put that note in there like i also i probably could not have pulled rita may brown's name out of my head for ruby fruit jungle out of trivia night just because i don't remember any information whatsoever (laughs) everything leaks out of my brain like a sieve but upon like getting home and i was like that can't be true it's maybe maybe there's two people named like rita brown 
And I looked it up and know it was correct. And then I read through everything else she did in like the 60s and 70s around like feminism and women's rights and queer rights and all of her activism and like all of the, you know, famous national organizations that she worked for, like in a highly public, visible way. And I like it just... It it is it is it is just bonkers to me that then she was like, all right, time to write this like weird little cozy mystery about cats, but also with like a a lot of like hyper specific Virginia politics and also yeah. really regressive gender shit. And so I I'm gonna address the elephant in the room, which is that maybe it was her co writer who brought that stuff. And, and, <laughs> and she just went to it. I know. I I don't know. I don't know what it is other than like I think I well I would venture a guess that you know she she's you know a published author and maybe she has some sort of assignment or deadline or something. So there's that. It it was also like you said 1990, and I feel like some of this almost qualifies as like 90s progressive. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, it's not it's definitely not like if you put yourself back however much you want to in 1990, it's like this isn't George H.W. Bush. Like this is this is closer to like Bill Clinton level, which for today is like way center, you know, or leaning right. You know, it feels like maybe in that. And that's just this one book. Also, it's obviously not her entire uh, life or anything else. But that's just the vibe I got from it. Yeah, when we launch Rita Mae Browncast, we will have to read more of these to compare. Like, because I mean, she's still, she is still alive. She is still writing these. So yeah, yeah. I would love to compare a more recent one. Uh, I also think that part of what happened is that she did settle down in a small town in Virginia, and I think maybe some of this is just like call out posts for her neighbors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like, she didn't have social media because it was 1990, so she was just like, "I'm gonna write like a mean, cozy mystery about you." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can see it happening. So, yeah, so this is it's set in the small Virginia town of Crozet, which is named after Claudius Crozet, who I assume is fictional, but I didn't actually look it up because he's just I think he is. I I actually did try to look it up, but I didn't find anything. Okay, excellent. It's named after Claudius Crozet, who built these railroad tunnels through the mountains. And then some of them got blocked off because now they have like different bridges or what or tunnels or whatever there's a lot of train tunnel talk in here that is plot important but also pretty boring i i have to, to I have late breaking announcement and apology i think i was spelling it wrong claudius crozet was a real person no oh so, yeah a real person Cyber the tunnels real is it I, all real I, i've yet to so i don't know how much you want me to scroll around the internet while uh there's a picture of a tunnel so yeah it's probably <gasps> real Oh my god! (laughs) Oh my god! Yes, this woman and her cat taught us so much. (laughs) Okay, I I learned about train tunnels against my will. Um. (laughs) So in in the little town of Crozet, there is a even though it is 1990, um, it is still the type of town where you go to the post office to pick up your mail does not get delivered to your house. And Mary Minor Harristine. Actually, sorry, who, this is a minor thing, but it is sort of significant, I think. 
because later she's like, oh, there's, they mentioned the number of postcards in the post boxes. And sh- she says like, oh, there's only about 400 post office, postal boxes. And her friend is like, but more people than that live here. And she's like, yeah, there's about 3000 people who get their mail delivered at home. And so. Oh, okay. I guess hmm. it's just people who get po- yeah, their mail delivered to post office box. And I was like, your mystery could fall apart very quickly if this had been yeah. happening to some of the non-post office box people. Right. Yeah. Okay. Go the murderer, off. <laughs> the murderer knew that they would all come to the post office. Um. So she, okay, take that back. It's a regular little post office, but lots of people get their mail delivered by, 400 people get their mail delivered by P.O. Box. Um, and Mary Minor Harristine, a.k.a. Harry, is the postmistress of the post office, uh, along with her cat, Mrs. Murphy, and her corgi, T. Tucker. And 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 she's living the dream because her animals get to go to work with her. They follow her yeah. everywhere. The cat. This is a cat about town, and I'm so obsessed. I would oh, I would love to take Duarte on all my little errands with me. It's so weird to me because, like, I don't know if this is a small town thing. I don't know if this is a 1990s thing. I don't know if this is a wishful thinking thing. But, like, the the cat literally, the cat and dog go with her literally everywhere. Like, Mm -hmm. very early in the book, she takes a lunch break. And she takes the dog and cat with her to, like, the sandwich shop around the corner. And, like, they come and, like, they sit on the benches with them and eat off their plates. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and the so the post office is next door to a market that's owned by a man whose nickname is Market because he owns the market. And he <laughs> there's also a what cat if he at the changed market. his careers? What happened? Yeah. Oh, that got to work in the stock market. Although I don't know because Harry's nickname is from her married name and now she's divorced and her name is still Harry. OK, so but, I'm, I'm derailing us already, but that kind of drew drove me crazy, which I would also chalk under the sort of regressive thing because I'm like. This poor woman, it's like she got rid of that guy. And now it's like, oh, we're going to nickname you that forever. You're welcome. We'll always know you by the man you married. I'm like, oh, awesome. What was her nickname before? She didn't exist before. I don't know. It's a little. I I feel like that was a forced way to get like the masculine sounding girl name. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Eh, Could have found a better way. Yeah. Anyway, so at, at Market's Market, there's a cat in, who lives there, and, his, and the cat's name is Pewter, and I want justice for Pewter. The other animals are so mean to Pewter, and Pewter, because Pewter's fat, and they're so mean to Pewter. They're and so I, mean to Pewter. If I walked into a store and there was a fat gray cat there, I would, oh. oh they're just give. <laughs> what I would give to walk into a store and be greeted by a fat gray cat. <laughs> it was it was just very it's very interesting to me because like it's not something and granted I haven't lived in very small towns so I don't know how it like it just seemed like everybody just like brought their pets with them everywhere and that <laughs> was something that like when I have been in Reykjavik there are a lot of cats in Reykjavik especially in the nicer weather they just wander around town and hang out mm-hmm. and go into different shops of people who don't own them <laughs> and just hang out there and so that was like kind of the feel that this book was giving me, but I've I have never had the opportunity to see something like that in America, which does not mean that it doesn't exist. But so about that, how many train tunnels are in Reykjavik? First of all, <laughs> um, first no, of all. but for real, I, I have lived in a very I grew up in a very tiny town. It was seven hundred fifty people. So number one, th- people going 
to the post office to get their mail is totally a thing that happened there. My, we used to laugh at my dad who would disappear for half an hour to go get the mail. And I mean, it was like just down the street, but it's like, you get to chat with people and you know, it was like Debbie pulls out the mail from the back and you chat with her. And then this other guy, you know, all that stuff. But I've not seen, I do not remember people taking their animals to work. And the only really substantial time I've seen that is actually because now I live in LA at our vet for my dog, mm. they, you know, the, the people working reception bring their dogs and it's hilarious because they're like big. One looks like a Rottweiler. And so when you walk in, you, you know, the counter is ahead of you and you see uh, a woman's head and a dog's head and it's like they're working <laughs> together and it's kind of Aww. great. Yeah, they are. But, He's giving her clues. Yeah. And come to think of it, there's a bookstore here uh, called the Iliad that has a sign on the door when you walk in it was like you know don't leave the door open for too long because cats will get out and there's cats their cats come to work with them so yeah i do feel like bookstore cat is a classic type of cat yeah i would say like the two businesses that i do actually have regularly seen cats in are bodegas and bookstores Uh, yes. yes yeah yeah. Yeah. Cuter's a bodega, a small town bodega cat. Yeah. Small town bodega cat. <laughs> yeah. I'm also from a small town, although population 1400. So I guess, you know, Philip wins the smallest town. Twice contest, is, twice I always win this I know, game. He, a metropolis. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there were not cats in all the local businesses. People are not taking their pets to work in Mackinac, Illinois. No. Uh, but I wish they were. Yeah. We wish they were. Yep. So uh, Mary has a vice, which is that she looks uh, at everyone's postcards and any mail that's not in an envelope when she's sorting it into the boxes, she does take a look at it. So this morning she is going through and putting the mail in the boxes and she notices that there is a postcard from France for this gentleman, Kelly... Kelly Craycroft. Kelly Craycroft. That is just a picture of Oscar Wilde's grave in a, you know, graveyard in France. And on the back, all it says in computer script is wish you were here. And she's like, oh, that's weird. Like, I'm I'm sure he has like a friend visiting France because she has her own close friend is is in Europe and sending her postcards. So she's like, oh, okay. She's like, I'm familiar with the concept of international mail. I'm not impressed. Yes. So she puts it in his post office box and he picks it up and uh, we learn a little bit about some of the other uh, characters who live in Crozet, including Mrs. Hagendauber, who <laughs> is a Christian who gets her mail every day at the post office and does a lot of like nosy evangelical Preaching I, want to to... Read you, I want to read you a quote about Mrs. Hagendauber, actually. Okay. She fretted a great deal over evolution. She was determined to prove that humans were not descended from apes, but rather created in God's own image. Mrs. Murphy, the cat, fervently hoped that Mrs. Hagendauber would prove her case because linking man and ape was an insult to the ape. Of course, the good woman would die of shock to discover that God was a cat and therefore humans were off the board entirely. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, she's very Christian, very nosy, and is completely unaware that God is a cat. Yes. <laughs> also, at this uh, this morning, we meet Big Marilyn, aka Mim, 
and her daughter, Little Marilyn. And Big Marilyn is like the richest person in town. She's married to the mayor. Um, she cares deeply about social class and deeply about appearances. And her daughter is like very reserved and very much under her mother's thumb. And the big uh, drama is that little Marilyn is getting married and Mim did not invite her son Stafford, who she disowned because he married a black woman. Yeah. So there's also that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I will say, like, it is, it is, everyone in the town is like, that's so distasteful. Yeah. Like, it is, well, 90% of the town is like, that's so distasteful. <laughs> but also, their distaste for it, it's, it's very weird. And again, like, I think this might fall into the trap of, in the 90s, in small mm-hmm. town culture, this was progressive. But now, it yes. seems real fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's it, you you said it you said it great. That's exactly what it is. Is that this is very much a product of its time where it's like you are critiquing it. So I guess you get a point for that. But but eh, we've learned to handle this better in in books. Yeah. Um and then also at the post office, so Kelly Craycroft is quote a handsome rich paving contractor. And then uh, he gets into a fight at the post office with Bob Berryman, who, oh, God, I didn't make a note of his job. He is also somehow, like, weirdly rich for this small town. Bob Berryman is. Bob Berryman. Yeah, I don't remember what he does either. He doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They get into a fight, and that's, like, the talk of the town. And then another character we meet in the beginning is named Maud Bly Modena, which I consistently read as Moderna. <laughs> when I didn't listen to audio, did they say Modena? Modena? Uh, they said Medea. No, um, I, I think <laughs> I said they. I think they said. I think they said Moderna, which is also aged weird. There's definitely not an R in it, but yeah, no. I think it was Modena, but I don't remember, I don't and it doesn't matter that. that much. It doesn't matter. She owns a packing store where she sells like shipping materials, and it's like very successful. Mm-hmm. I gotta say again, these names. And she's attractive despite being in her late thirties. Oh my god! Wow, <laughs> <laughs> the hurdles that she's overcome. Yeah, yes. but the other important thing about Maude is that she is from uh, New York. Oh yeah, which in this Virginia small town, like she'll always be an, a Yankee outsider. Right. Hang on to it, Maude Bly Medina. I I gotta say. The names in this book, I've already talked about it. I'm going to keep talking about it, but they just like there's a certain level and maybe I'm just not there. Maybe I don't have whatever that is, but there's just I can't tell if it's very Virginia or very memorable or what or or just reckless abandon with letters. But some of these names like Josiah DeWitt and uh, Bob Berryman and Kelly Ann Craycroft and Mrs. Hoggendauber just like. I listened to the audiobook too, and I was like, what's wrong with this person reading this book? Like, <laughs> it sounds like those are made up words. And and no, those are the names and they just stick with them. And it like they were it was it was almost like sensory overload for me with the characters. Like they didn't stick as well because they were all like outlandish to me. And like I say, I didn't I, I don't live in Virginia. Maybe this is like a Virginia thing, but it just, they, 
they felt a bit much. Yes. <laughs> um, well, and Harry's ex-husband, his name is is Faramond, but he goes by Fair. And which is funny because later reveal Fair had an affair. Hey, hey. Yeah. Yes. The last important character I think we need to introduce is Josiah DeWitt. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is an antique dealer in town? He is gay. It is v- vaguely referenced. Yeah, at in, first I was just like, oh, and vaguely he's, referenced. He's, he's queer coded. Um, he very much cool. is. But then somebody calls him the F slur, and I was like, okay, he's gay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think a little bit before that, they go into like how he he could provide like he and and Maud hung out together a lot and like he could provide Maud with like companionship and like basically like be a best gay girlfriend but mm-hmm. like couldn't provide him with sex couldn't provide her with sex but like so she got that elsewhere or something mm. yeah but yeah so these are all the people who go by this little town post office and a couple the next day it turns out that Kelly Crave Craycroft, who got that weird postcard, was found dead in his cement mixer because he owns a cement pouring business or something, a concrete business. He's a a wealthy paving contractor. Yes. (laughs) And he was found dead in the cement mixer. And the sheriff soon finds out that after the autopsy that the cement mixer wasn't what killed him. He was dead before he was in there. He was poisoned with cyanide. And... The um, cats um, um. at this point are starting their like little like uh, one of the cats says, "Oh, I talked to like a dog to, who to Ozzy the dog, Ozzy yeah. the dog who's at the crime scene, and he said that like he could smell something that smelled like turtles, and they're like trying to tell Mrs. Murphy and Tucker are trying to like get Harry to take them out there so they can smell it too." Because they want to help solve the crime. Mm. (laughs) The animals in this book, the things that they care about are so Mm -hmm. wild to me. Because, okay, like, they want to protect Harry because they love Harry. Fine. These animals, though, are so judgmental of, like, fashion choices of humans. They think humans are lazy. They think um, Harry's okay because she's more like an animal than most people. But, like, Mm -hmm. they see a 14-year-old girl wearing hoop earrings and they're like... When did she start dressing like a outdated word for a Romani person? I'm like, what? I know a lot about what cats think. Here's what they don't care about. They don't care about fashion. They don't care about capitalism. They don't, they, to be you know, lazy is a cat virtue. Duarte loves it when I take a nap because then he yeah. can take a nap on me. You know, I know that cats are not a monolith so maybe some cats do care about these things but my running theory is that maybe sweetie pie brown wrote the human side of the story and rita may brown wrote the cat side and just didn't do her research that you know that could be or she's just putting her own weird opinions in the mouths of cats yeah they're like dogs. they're like you know what we could do it's like we've always promised to do a project together so let's write it together but also like let us get weird by using the protections of our species uh and everyone will assume you wrote the cat parts and everyone will assume i i wrote the human parts and that's their dumb luck because we're gonna get we're gonna really screw them and then they just and they work together so wonderfully and now they have like 13 books yeah 
Anyway, so the cats, the animals in town are on the case, and so there's definitely, like, full animal POV where they, like, speak to each other in italics and are always, like, trying to, like, knock stuff over or, like, trying to, like, scheme to get Harry to pay attention. Yes. But, of course, they can't actually speak to her. Um, so a few days after Kelly is killed and they have his funeral, Maud gets a Wish You Were Here postcard as well. This one is from Asheville, and uh, it doesn't immediately ping Harry. She just puts it in Maud's box, and... They Maud pulls the postcard out and they're talking about it a little bit when she's picking up her mail. Like, oh, I don't know anyone in Nashville. Like, I wonder where this came from. It's so weird. It's not signed. And then they get distracted because I believe that is the point when Big Marilyn comes into the post office and is like, I can't believe that you told because at Kelly's funeral, Harry went to Little Marilyn and said, you know, you love your brother. I know you love your brother. You need to invite him to your wedding. Mm-hmm. Like... And Big Marilyn fanned out and she throws a huge fit in the post office in front of everyone about Harry like snooping into little Marilyn's business. And uh, during the hubbub, the postcard is kind of forgotten and like Maud leaves very quickly to get out of this like craziness. And the postcard is the furthest thing from Harry's mind until mm-hmm. uh, Maud is found dead the next day. Yeah, tied to the train tracks, like a, you know, like a vaudeville <laughs> yeah. death scene. <laughs> the culprit is Snively Whiplash. Yeah. Mustache twirling villain. And then here's where the animals start talking about eugenics. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to, that's going to be one of the, spoiler, that's going to be one of our dramatic readings. But they are like, here's a direct quote early <laughs> on. Why don't people kill their sick young like we do? Why do we let them? Why do they let them live and cause damage? And they're just like, it's so fucked up that humans like don't kill their children at you at birth. And then one of the animals is like, well, I think they maybe can't always tell that they're sick, and you know, until they do something like this, and they don't know the way that we know. And then they're like, yeah, but sometimes they do know, and they let them live anyway. And it's like, what? yeah i got to that part and i was i i listened to these books on when i'm taking my little stupid walks and i was walking in my neighborhood and i stopped dead in the middle of the sidewalk when i got to that part and pulled my phone out so that i could open google docs and go in here and make a note being like why are these animals so pro eugenics It is baffling. It is so weird. It's I. Oh boy. Oh boy. And I. And it comes back again. They double down on it. Oh yeah. And, and I would almost say it was like it's it's weird for a number of reasons, not the least of which being it's weird from a story perspective because if they are, frankly, blasé about murder, then why are they trying to solve a murder? Well, they do say multiple times that they don't care if other humans die, but they want to protect Harry. Right. And that they like the gossip around town. That's true. Okay, fine. So they're more about gossip and protecting their food source. That's yeah. That tracks. All right, thank you. And it's just like, even if you were to say, oh, well, it's written from the perspective of a cat, and like, this is how I feel cats would feel based on their actions. Like, you're writing a fucking fictional, like, novel here. You don't need to be true to, like, cats also, like, don't talk. Like, you can... <laughs> you right? can you don't need to make it like i i don't i cannot fathom why that yeah, would be so included if, in this so book. in this in according to this world 
God is a cat and they are in tune with that God. And these, yeah, it, there's a, it's, there's a real cat hole. You can go down thinking about all this stuff that just, yeah, yeah. I kind of, part of me kind of gets it. I'm not, not, let me finish. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. Just like what you said, uh, Kate, it was like, if, if it's being written from a cat's perspective and you're imagining this is what they think and we're like, okay, yeah, you, you are dealing with like these, what you, what you've observed cats behavior to be is like, you know, they're, they are, they are animals. And even though they're domesticated, they're still like, you know, the harsh end of nature is like, okay, sure. There's lots of other ways you could probably have addressed that. You didn't, I don't think anybody was opening this and be like, well, I really hope they talk about how they eat their young. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fortune loss, antiquing, whatever. Yeah, yeah. What about uh, how cats deal with sick cats? Like, I, I've never thought about it until this <sighs> was broached. Yeah, it's so it's so fucking weird. It's so fucking out of left field. <laughs> I I don't I don't even know what to say. Like obviously we've been talking about it for like an hour now, but <laughs> I have no idea what to even say about the cat eugenics because it, I don't I uh, yeah you can't see the hand motions that I'm making. But again, what I, I, I'm not apologizing for it, <laughs> but I almost feel like it's one of those things that happens of like creative license is going into this plus '90s era progressive politics. You're just kind of imagining these things and you don't quite have the words or the scope to see. But she's a smart person. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Man. And eugenics has been out for can... a very long time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Come on. At least it didn't come into solving the murder. Spoiler alert. That's true. Like they didn't solve it. But it's like and it all proves that this theory is correct. It's like it doesn't come down to that. So it makes it almost worse because like you could have kind of lost this. You could have just cut this out because. It's some character moment of a character characterization we're not crazy about. Yeah, it's yeah. it's wild. I could talk about it for hours, but mostly I can't because I can't put it into words. So I'd just be making noises and flailing. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a visual. It is... That's a visual podcast that is available yes. for a dollar a month on the Patreon. Anita <laughs> Brown, Brown, Sweetie Pie Brown podcast. <sighs> so it, it is specific to note it is important to note too that she is killed on the tram tracks Maud this is and Maud had previously talked about um, the history of Crozet and the tunnels that were built by Claudius Crozet and how important they are and how he is the founder and there's a lot of talk throughout this about like the history of of Crozet the person the work that he did to build the tunnels and there is a a point where Maud is kind of info dumping some of this and they say like, well, you're not even from here. Why do you know all this? And she's like, Oh, I, when I moved in, like I was so worried about fitting in that I went to the library and I checked out all of his letters and his biography (laughs) so that I could feel like I understood more. And that is where I believe we first find out that there is a fabled treasure of the like, however fucking many tunnels this guy dug. I'm not going to go deep into the transportation politics. The amount of this book that is taken up by both old timey and modern day transportation politics is insane. Um, <laughs> it's almost as it's almost as much as is in animal eugenics. Yeah, it is like the <laughs> amount of time that they're talking about. Well, and they want this place wants to build a bypass to this county, and da 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 da, and it's like I don't care. 
So, um, but so to so I, I know you don't care, but I just realized it was like that's also like very proto cozy because there's a there's a line of cozy mysteries now where people will review the books and say like you know I really like this plus I got the recipes out of it or plus I learned how to crochet because of it and there's like depending on what your your cozy mystery series is about there's like this element that people put in there where it's like well you know it's about a chef so I'll put in lots of food stuff and audiences apparently really respond to that so maybe uh this is Rita Mae Brown's thing to be like I'm going to talk about train tunnels it's like and people <laughs> some review out there is like I I I really like the mystery cats were interesting really like learning about train tunnels like that's <laughs> what I'm about it is entirely possible. I am not that person. <laughs> I am not either. And they, so she talks a lot about these fucking train tunnels. And this is where we first find out about the supposed treasure that Crozet right. had hidden in one of the tunnels. And all of them but one are sealed up now. So uh, Harry gets to thinking like, oh, well, like maybe the treasure has something to do with it. So she and the sheriff go out to the closest tunnel which is closed off and they look around and it's like really well closed off. Like there's a boulder. It's covered by all these vines. Okay. Like clearly the treasure hunting aspect of this is, you know, dead in the water or is it? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, Maud had known about a lot about the train tunnels and been talking about them a lot. So like the fact that she was killed by the train is also like, you know, suspicious. And at this point, now that there've been two deaths, Harry and her best friend, Susan, are like, okay, we are going to do what we can to help solve these murders because it's a small town and we all look out for each other and we want to protect our friends from dying. Um, So they decide to start interrogating gently their, uh, now that that Harry has put together that both Maude and Kelly got postcards, uh, gently interrogate their friends. She tells the police about the postcards and they're like, okay, yeah, well, we'll look into it. But they both, they have postmarks from different. So the one from France has a postmark from France. And the one from North Carolina that Maud got has a postmark from North Carolina. So Harry's like, can I just borrow the postcard so that I could check their postmarks against other postmarks? And she finds through like careful inspection that the postmarks are off, that they've been created artificially and that they are not actual postmarks from those places. It's elaborate. They go out to the train tracks to investigate the area where Maud was killed. And Tucker and Mrs. Murphy notice that the same faint amphibian turtle smell is at the train tracks. So clearly that has something to do with the murders. The sheriff gets Rick the coroner's Shaw. report. Rickshaw uh, gets the coroner's report on Maud and finds out that she too has been killed by cyanide before the train hit her. So now they know for sure someone is cyanide poisoning these people. And also cyanide smells like turtles? Yes, I guess. <laughs> well, turtles smell like cyanide. That's mm. Yeah. <laughs> the animals just don't have the words. They don't have the detective vocabulary. They only know they're amphibians and turtles and stuff. Uh, here's here's Mrs. Hagendauber's what she has to say about Maud Blymodena. Well, Harry says, I liked her. I even grew accustomed to the accent she's from new york and then mrs h says i couldn't understand much of what she said i relied on tone of voice hand gestures that sort of thing i bet she's from a mafia family 
Why? Well, she was Catholic and Italian. Jeez. Which earlier she had only been like, she looked Italian. I think she's Catholic. And then it immediately converted into she's from the mafia. <laughs> <laughs> so then after Maud dies, there's no, despite her mafia connections, there's no family to claim the body. And so Josiah, the, the dapper, queer-coded, queer antiques dealer, calls Ned, who is Maud's lawyer and also Harry's lawyer and also the only lawyer. And he says that since Maud had no relatives, he wants to um, claim the body and arrange for the funeral and then buy her store. And he's like, I just don't think it's right that she doesn't have a burial, blah, blah, blah. And also um, would love that store. And I guess because Maud left her estate to charity, there's some sort of like more paperwork. But Ned's like, yeah, I can't imagine like the charity wants to actually deal with the business. I'm sure they would like let you buy it. At first, people are like, oh, that's nice that Josiah is taking care of her. But then it gets people are like, oh, well, he was just doing it to get her her valuable package store. Because they didn't get a chance to really investigate the store clear closely yet. Tucker and Mrs. Murphy um, sneak out of the house at night while Harry is sleeping and go to the store and sneak in. And they see that there is someone in the store already and they are leaving with a bunch of letters. And they accidentally uh, – so Mrs. Murphy and Tucker discover a hidden – drawer in Maud's desk that had not previously been seen by the sheriff or earlier when other people in town were snooping and it has all sorts of stuff in it and they go to leave so they can figure out how to get Harry to come and look at this only to find that the door of the the back of the shop has been closed and Mrs. Murphy can't reach the doorknob so they're locked in overnight and they are like, okay, well, we just need to start yowling to get someone's attention once the sun comes up, which they do. And they get Mrs. Hagendogger, <laughs> right? Yeah. Mrs. Hagendaz. Mrs. Hagendogger. Mrs. Hot Dog Hagendaz. <laughs> yes. They get her attention. And Mrs. Hagendaz, uh, <laughs> I'm just going with it now. Yeah, I'm just right. going with it. Yeah. Mrs. Hagendaz uh, opens the store and like lets them out and knows at that point that Harry's been looking for them. So Harry and Mrs. Hagendaz go back to the store and Mrs. Murphy leads them to the hidden drawer and the things that are inside of it, which are a bunch of photocopies of letters of Crozet's letters that he sent mm -hmm. back in the olden times. And also a second set of books for her store where it's clear that she's been cooking the books. So mm. Harry has Mrs. Hagendaz photocopy all of the materials and then they give them over to the sheriff so that the two of them can work together to try because at this point she's fairly certain that Mrs. Hagendaz isn't the murderer. So and Mrs. Hagendaz has accounting training. So she's like, why don't you look at the books and figure out like what was going on here? And I'll look at these letters and we'll see if they can help us figure out who murdered Maud. And Mrs. Hagendaz, despite being like trying to present herself as like a totally upstanding Christian citizen who never does anything wrong, like fucking loves the idea of being in on a conspiracy with someone. And it's like, excellent. I will do this because it's what God would want, I guess, whatever I'm in. <laughs> and so they, they get into, they get into that. I got, I have a, I have a thought as I'm listening to you recap this book. And this is a very like 
basic level rewrite of this book, which doesn't need any, well, it doesn't need my help, but it probably needs some help. But I'm wondering if it would have been better to have it be told only from the human point of view and have the animals still do their detective work, but us not get insights into them doing it. Like that whole scene of the cat and dog, like finding the secret drawer and stuff. It was like, it's fine, but I almost wonder how this book would have worked if we had just like Harry woke up one morning and was like, you know, my animals aren't here. And then they go and find him. It's like, yeah, they got into here and look. And they, they also, they were digging at this drawer and then they find that. And I, I can see that being way too convenient, way too cute. But part of me almost thinks it would be a little more relatable. Plus you lose some of the stuff that we've been complaining about with these animals. Um, I don't know. I don't know if, if you have an opinion about that of how we're going to steal this idea or are we saving it for, for our chapter by chapter cast? I think I bet that Kate and I are going to have opposite opinions about this because <laughs> as you may know from the podcast, she and I have opposite opinions about this kind of thing. Okay. I didn't, aside from the eugenics, like I think that these animals have wrong opinions, but I don't think it's wrong to tell me the animals opinions. I would sure. love a whole book of just the animals talking. I would love that. I don't care about the humans. I, <laughs> I don't, care about the murder i like i truly um i just want to read the animals like talking to each other and being but not like this mm -hmm. so I, I i don't think that the problem for me is that the animals are talking to each other and that's silly i think the problem is that why are animals in into eugenics <laughs> sure i i would say that i think that there are other like I it's been a very long time since I read one but when I was a youth like a tween I read a lot of the cat who books by Lillian Jackson Braun mm. um and that that is kind of what happens in those like Quill who is the main human character of those books who I believe is a librarian and the cats are library cats like he is doing the mystery solving but like the cats are helping but we don't get the cats POVs okay Okay, so it does, um, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Just it, just hearing it, I just thought it would have been. It, there's a, there's an angle there. I, I like I say, I'm not saying we that it has to happen, but there's an angle there where it would have been even more mysterious. Because part of part of what I, I'm coming at this very technically, but part of what sort of frustrated me sometimes with this book was like the animals already found like where the secret drawer was. Yeah, they didn't get the information, but they found where the secret drawer was. So then now we have to like wait for Harry to catch up with them. And it sort of drags the story a bit for me to be like, yeah, but you know, just, uh, just, you know, we yeah. found it. Just, just open the drawer, you know, it, it, that. So I was thinking like, if you eliminated one or the other human side or animal side, then you're just like, well, you know, and you're just kind of plowing through, but yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I actually, I do like generally agree with you just because that like, even in, retelling this book for this podcast <laughs> it is like a stumbling block is that the cats will figure something out and the humans won't figure it out for quite a long time yeah so and again like Renato's correct we have different opinions on this like I think that <laughs> there is room for both of these types of cozy mysteries on the market but also like me as a reader it was very annoying to be like okay so the cats smelled the cyanide like but then mm -hmm. also you know the cats smelling the cyanide is like a huge thing that keeps coming back for the first like 
half of the book, but the sheriff already knows that both of the humans were cyanide poisoned. But right. like the cat, like it's so I'm like, why are the cats so, why do we need, it's just, it's. It's almost like it would have benefited. And again, this is only benefiting for me, but it's almost like it would have benefited from the cats, the cat and dog, honorary cat, the dog would have been on a completely different train of thought than the humans. And then to have them converge in the middle, as opposed to like, well, we're a little ahead of them. Now we're going to wait. And we're a little ahead of them. And now we got to wait. So yeah, that, that's, that was just my, my feeling as you were saying, and I'm like, man, we really like kind of cover the same ground twice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I would be interested to return to these to a later book in the series, not just to yeah. see if the politics get more progressive, but to see if she's kind of tightened up a little bit, how the mystery parts work. And I just imagined I just imagined like the, the politics getting like more radicalized. <laughs> like she, she was like, oh, I'm going online and reading all these conspiracies about 9-11 and whatever. And I'm like, oh, my God, these cats are <laughs> <laughs> not it's not going great. <laughs> So there's a lot in these books that we also have not been talking about because in addition to the mystery, there's a lot of like stupid small town bullshit. <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. You know, like Susan, who is Harry's best friend, like her son stole their credit card to like buy a bunch of shit without telling them and he's been grounded and also the girl the daughter of market who owns the market has a crush on him but won't admit it and also harry's divorce is going on and did her husband fair have an uh have an affair with boom boom the widow of kelly craycroft like there's all of this chat and then like the wedding happening and then like mim being a bitch and (laughs) She has like a boat party, and so there's all this stuff that is like constantly happening in the background that I have yeah. been largely skipping while summarizing this. Yeah, it's all, yeah, it almost qualifies as red herrings, but I don't think I ever bought that like that son was stealing a credit card and therefore he had a motive for murder. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I think that's why those are there, sort of, or like somebody said earlier, she was just trolling her neighbors but um, yeah. in, in print for millions of people to read. But yeah, it, it, you're kind of like, uh, all right. I, I probably paid more attention to Harry's ex-husband and Boom Boom's thing because it like it emotionally related to her. You know, it's like I can see that as a I appreciated that as like a hurdle, a challenge that Harry had to deal with. You know, yeah, like, that, like that is that is very distracting <laughs> to have to deal with this shit while I'm dealing with this other thing. Yeah, because Fair is not paying her her alimony, and there's like there's just a lot going on in the background. Yeah, um, here's what I want to talk about because I don't again I also don't care about this background stuff. Here's <laughs> another way you can tell this book was written in 1990. Here's what Harry eats for dinner: cottage cheese on a bed of lettuce sprinkled with sunflower seeds. Oh boy! And then she's like staying up late digging through like the the records and stuff and then by one in the morning she was ravenous and wished that someone would figure out a way to fax a pizza mm-hmm. lol can't fax a pizza that's silly. Um, except except she's then- like almost she she almost creates doordash in that way you know what i mean like she just <laughs> didn't have the whole idea she was so close yes so 
by the time the funeral Wait, from- but then the other sorry i'm not done talking about her food oh, okay because <laughs> then she makes a another day like the next morning she makes herself a smoothie and just puts whole almonds in the blender in her smoothie mm. is that yeah that's I, a thing. My, my really my blender would not be up to that i don't think yeah my dad anyway would, 90s blenders dad were different breed they were it's a different time okay really really strong yeah. i mean but even like now when my dad makes stuff in his blender he'll throw like a whole peach in or whatever and it'll obliterate the there are good blenders out the there what <laughs> the pit, yeah the whole pan yep also i don't think you're supposed to eat that <laughs> how anyway do you get your, how do you get um, your pit juices how do you get your cyanide <laughs> from inside <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess this does go back to what you guys were saying about it being sort of pointless that the animals are tracing the smell of cyanide when they already know it's cyanide. But this is how they get, they realize that the smoothie smells like turtles, smells like almonds, smells like cyanide. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It seems you could have, you could, and maybe, like I said, and I don't know anything about making smoothies, but but maybe you could have accomplished this just by smelling almonds. Like if, if Harry had spilled almonds, then they would have smelled that or something, but instead, yeah, yeah I don't know. A little quirks. It almost feels like, uh, uh Rita Mae Brown found out that like turtles smell like cyanide uh-huh. and was like, ah, oh, this is a great fact. They got to put it in here somehow. <laughs> I actually would have loved a scene with the animals interrogating like the town turtle, <laughs> you know, like, like, so it seems like you get around pretty slow or do you, you know, like <laughs> they play good cat, bad cat or something. And then they were like, Oh, that's a dead end. But then they realize this other part. I don't know. There's, yes. There's you are a hundred percent right. This book needed more turtles. I'm, yes. <laughs> oh, fucking. I forgot about Mrs. Murphy's ex-husband, Patty. There's a oh, Mr. Yeah. Murphy, which Mrs. Murphy. It's just her name. Like she was given the name Mrs. Murphy after Harry's grandma, I think. Yeah. But then she does have an ex-husband. Yeah. <laughs> Why do these cats believe in the Christian concept of marriage? <laughs> well, and it's interesting that they're both divorcees. <laughs> You know, they both like Harry is is separated from her husband and Mrs. Murphy is separated from what's his name again? Patty. Patty. Patty, who in the audiobook has like a rich Irish accent. Yes. Yes. And the sexual tension between these two cats, it's still there. There's a spark still there. I don't know what happened to separate. Probably their radical politics broke them up. But um, yeah, <laughs> they're like, oh, well, man. no, because because Patty like sleeps around and Mrs. Murphy wanted to practice cat monogamy. Oh, great. Free your mind, Mrs. Murphy. <laughs> man. Yeah, this is a fucking weird book. Have we mentioned that? <laughs> I did kind of like this. This I appreciate of all the divergence. I appreciated this element. I, something about it was just it was just like sort of silly enough for me and and like a complete distraction from the story you know like there's there's these other distractions that almost qualify as red herring so i'm like am i supposed to really be paying attention to this but when another animal shows up that's like adding character and shadow to one of the animals that is our main characters i was like oh okay well i'm i'm down for this and like i said the vocal performance i thought was wonderful yeah, let's let's try to breeze through the rest of this. We're only like halfway through this book. Yeah, right. But so much of this is just like whatever. Yeah. So um, after Maud's funeral, it becomes clear that this is like a serial murderer 
situation. So the press comes to town and a lot of people get, you know, interrogated by various whatever reporters, by the police, like they're still trying to find someone who did this. And there's a bunch of different people who they think maybe did it, but didn't actually do it. And um, during a party that at Maud's funeral, Bob Ferryman punches Josiah in the face. So he has like a little party at his house for like, sorry, you got punched in the face. During which Mrs. Hagen does makes a couple slips where she almost starts to mention that she's been like, like that someone in town is having trouble with the IRS. Yes. Mm. But because that's a secret that she's not supposed to know, like she, Harry changes the subject very quickly. And then there's another time that she, like, she just makes a couple little slips um, at this big party. Also, Maud, uh, not Maud, Mim, Big Marilyn has her yacht party. And uh, which is not on a yacht, it's on a pontoon boat. Yes. And someone slashes her pontoon. So halfway through, it starts flooding. And mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh my God, we're going to drown. We're going to drown in this lake. <laughs> and it's like panicking. And little Marilyn watches them sink for quite a while before she goes and gets help. <laughs> um, And they're like, oh, like, and she's like, oh, I didn't realize that you were in trouble. Even though like her mother literally takes her shirt off and starts waving it like a flag. And so they're and all then she's saved. briefly a, she's briefly a suspect. Can we just skip to the end? Yeah, so a whole bunch of different people think that, you know, they're, they're trying to figure this out. Finally, um, Mrs. Hagen dawes gets a Wish You Were Here postcard, so they send her away for protection. Um, Officer Cooper starts hanging out with Harry to protect her. They figure Boom Boom has found a discrepancy in Kelly's ledgers now that she's taken over Kelly's business. She finds that there is a lot of trips um, extra trips in the trucks that don't match up to like what is listed as the trips the trucks were taken. And also that there's been a lot of resin and concrete that are missing from that, that don't match up in the books. So Bob, Fer- Bob Berryman uh, announces essentially at the funeral that he was having an affair with Maude and that she was in love with him and vice versa, despite the fact that he was married and uh, Bob and his dog Ozzy are killed out by the tunnels, and Bob had a postcard in his top in his pocket, but was not killed by cyanide. So after Harry comes up with a trick where she's going to, she and Susan write "Wish You Were Here" postcards for everyone who has a postcard box in town, and put them in all of their boxes, and they're hoping that whoever gets, like the killer, will get one. And we'll realize, like, we'll react to it in some way. By the way, the the problem with their plan is multiple people are like, that's weird. I got a postcard. And then, okay, the, the killer is Josiah, the gay antique stealer. And Josiah says, like, oh, is this a joke? Ha ha. And then he does, like, and then later that's what makes Harry realize it was him. Because she was like, he didn't, you know, he shouldn't have known. But, like, everybody in town, ta- like, other people are like, oh, what a weird postcard. Like, to me saying, like, oh, is this one of your jokes, Harry, is, like, not really that. A confession. Um, yeah. yeah. By the way, he- Josiah, you said he's a gay antiques dealer. My first thought was, like, he does not sell gay antiques. He is a <laughs> gay person who sells antiques. 
I I mean, I don't know. We haven't seen what he's saying. Oh, that's true. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Oh, man, take it back. Yeah, I I was the the postcard thing seemed like such a it was an it was an interesting way to get Harry involved, you know, breaking federal law, law and all that sort of stuff, but an interesting mm-hmm, way to get mm-hmm. her involved, but I I can't remember why they would mail postcards to the people you're going to kill. Do we have that here? Do they ever say why you it would was, it was Riddler just like this? a little joke? He was because she she mentions early on that like clearly he's letting people know like it's it's a little taunt that makes the killer feel good to be like ha huh, like I'm sending you a postcard from a graveyard saying wish you were here and you don't get it but I get it and she like there's a big thing about how like it would have to be someone with a dark sense of humor which is everyone in <laughs> Crozet except for like Big Marilyn and Mrs. Hagen Dawes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Seems a little Batman villainy. Bring him back to my other episode. It's like it's a little yeah. like uh why would the Riddler leave clues to his crimes? See, as a person who watches a lot of murder shows, I'm like, yeah, that tracks. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he he was dramatic. He liked he liked his flair. And also, by the way, okay, so they <sighs> Mrs. Murphy learns from her ex-husband, Patty, that he saw a rabbit coming out of one of the train tunnels, even though they're sealed. They go have a big confrontation at the train tunnels, and it's, like, full of antiques. And Josiah has been, like, involving these other people he killed in his, like, antiques crime ring and then hiding the stuff in the tunnels and then selling it later. And then that's also why he wants the shipping business. And he does this, like, whole villain monologue. And Harry is like, but how did you get them to do the cyanide? And he's like, oh, I put it on one of my dapper handkerchiefs I was carrying, and then I put it over their face, which is, like, very, like, Job from Arrested Development, like, very um, <laughs> community chloroform. It's like, why? Yeah. Like, why? <laughs> Especially because he's supposedly friends and business partners with these people. So it wouldn't be hard to, like, give them a glass of water or something and assume we're a fucking cocktail and know that i don't know is the whole thing it was held together with like spit and duct tape yeah (laughs) but yeah so they they're there they figure out that the boulders are the that's where the resin and the concrete went was to make like a fake looking boulder and really there aren't boulders there and you know everything is is fine i gotta admit i liked that part I like I'm I'm sort of a sucker for the we made a, you know, a fake door or we 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 used our our skills as a, you know, an artist or like a scene designer to mask a crime. It's like, oh, okay, I like that. Yeah. So he he, um, you know, comes in after them and Officer Cooper shoots him and kills him and Mrs. Murphy, he tries to come in and chase them and like Tucker and Mrs. Murphy like pounce on him, befuddle him. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Cooper shoots him and he's dead. And then there's like one summary epilogue that goes through like all of the things that have changed because of this. And yeah, that's the end of it. <laughs> yeah a rousing ending <laughs> yeah it's very, I, like, I, I was expecting more like after he was killed like a little bit more of an epilogue but it like seriously feels like the black screen at the end of a movie where like just like text about each character comes up one after the other and that's the yeah. end 
the semi-somber yeah. animal house of you know, like yeah. they got married. They didn't. It may happen that way because, you know, like Josiah's efforts only really impacted him. It's like, I mean, outside of the people he killed, obviously, but like no one was. Was anybody in in competition in the antiques business? You know, it's like you could have kind of done this on your own. So in the end, like, what is there to wrap up of the crime? It was like, a, you know, like a murderer was just captured and the cats and dogs helped. But it was like, oh, well, yeah, well, that happened, but it doesn't really impact our lives too much. So we're talking about these other things. The book that I would have preferred, and I know that this is like not valid literary criticism to be like, well, I wish it was a book like this, but I wish it was a book about Josiah, the like dapper antiques thief in a small town, just like doing his little crimes and like selling them and scamming like rich society people. And then a whole crew of like gossipy talking animals who don't believe in eugenics. And that's it. And like I, if he hadn't done murders, I would love for him to just keep getting away with like scamming antiques. I think that's fun. I think he should yeah. get to do that as a treat. But then why do you have to go and murder Maud Limodena about it? Fucking rude. Yeah, there's a there's an angle of this that might be like that might have been fun where he was like you say the dapper thief, but then he's the owner of the cats and dogs, and then a murder happens that's like he has to take care of. So it'd be like, Oh, I'm a total outsider and a criminal, but I'm not a murderer. You know, I have to, I have to protect my town and my interests. I wonder if that would have worked too. Ooh, that could be fun. Yeah. yeah. But that's not what it was. And <laughs> it was this. And let's, uh, let's get into our dramatic readings now. Oh yes. Okay. So, well, for starters, I'm going to, read the animals talking about eugenics and then you will see that we were not <laughs> exaggerating. Tucker, the dog, hung her head. Why don't people kill their sick young like we do? Why do they let them live and cause damage? Well, as I understand it, these psychos, Pewter had an opinion on everything, can appear mentally normal. That's no excuse for the ones they know are nuts from the beginning. Mrs. Murphy couldn't cover her distress. They think it's wrong to weed out litters. Tucker's claws clicked on the pavement. Yeah, they let the sickies grow up and kill them instead. Peter laughed a harsh laugh. No one better come after Courtney or Market. I'll scratch their eyes out. Whoever this is has something to cover up, Mrs. Murphy thought out loud. Yes, they have to cover up that they're demented and they'll kill again during a full moon, I bet, Pewter said. Uh, I'm going to stop it there, but like there's more and then they do it again. And yeah, what the fuck? I laughed. I laughed so hard at the fact that like it starts right out of the gate. <laughs> it's like why don't they do this are you are you advocating for this is this your solution yeah yeah big yikes mm. it's it's there folks it's there uh all right well the next dramatic reading um i'll be harry and philip will be boom boom yes and yeah yeah so and they're just yeah this is like oh do you want to set it up no, go for it. I was just going to say, uh, uh, Harry and Boom Boom obviously uh, are 
sort of rivals because fair was married to Harry and now is like having flirtations with boom, boom. And they're like airing grievances around Harry's social situation and struggles and talking about the ex and flirting at a Christmas party. Um, and I think I'm boom, boom, right? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. So the first line is Harry's. Okay. He and Kelly were never the same after fair made a pass at you, but we stayed friends. That was last year. Everyone was drunk. Look, Harry, people don't want to look at themselves. Let me give you some advice about Crozet. I've lived here all my life. What do you know that I don't? That divorce frightens people. From the outside, your marriage seemed fine. People want to accept appearances. Now you've gone and upset the apple cart. You might be looking inside yourself, but no one in these parts will give you credit for it. This is... Albemarle County. Albemarie County. Or no. This is Albemarle County. <laughs> no change, keep everything the same, you stay the same. To change is viewed as an admission of guilt. Hell, people would rather live in their familiar misery than take a chance to change it. Harry had never weathered blunt truth from Boom Boom before. <laughs> and that is the end. I cho- I yeah. chose this one because I actually thought that was a that was an like there's the eugen the cat's talking about eugenics end of one thing of like oh this is an opinion this is one of those opinions where I was like oh I actually kind of not relate to this but this feels very true to where I grew up or you know like small town place and just I I appreciated the sort of articulation of that narrow minded thought you know it was like the idea that change. I, I felt like this is the same conversation we're having all the time in modern politics about, you know, why do people care about what other people do with their bodies or what do they do with their lives or whatever? And then this is just, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't obviously excuse those people, but I, I appreciated that element of critiquing it. So that's why I picked it. Plus then we got to talk about boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, of all the dumb things that are, detailed elaborately in this book they never explain how she got the name boom boom no they drove right it's a family name the names (laughs) i'm telling you the names are like she she was so good that she like circled around to not good and and it's even little things like there's there's big marilyn and then there's mim it was like technically those are the same those are the same names so i kept getting confused and i think somebody they they are the same person yeah Mim, oh, I'm sorry. Mim is Big Maryland. See what I mean? And then there's even yeah. someone there's there's like two carols in town and somebody mentions how it's like, oh, it's so confusing. And I'm like, yeah, no kidding. There's also a dog named Tucker and there's another human named Dan Tucker. And I'm like, oh, you got like, you're killing me with these name things. It's like some of them are so character filled that I can't like process it. And then the others are literally the same names. So, yeah, I I got. To be fair, T. Tucker's last name is Tucker because she was a gift from Susan Tucker. So she kept the last name. (laughs) I guess, but I didn't need the whole, like, it could have been anything. It could have been T.T. Like, don't call them Tucker. I don't know. It just drives me nuts. Yeah. No, it definitely was confusing, but that one was explained. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) let's get into Explaining it doesn't make it right. (laughs) It's fair. You know what? That's it's just like eugenics. Yeah, just like <laughs> you said it. Uh, let's get into uh, Josiah's villain monologue. Yes, and um, Philip will be 
Josiah. All right. And I'll be Harry. A familiar, charming voice reached them. Josiah was too smart to appear in the opening. I underestimated you, Harry. Never underestimate a woman. Officer Cooper, I know you're armed. I suggest you toss out your weapon. No reason to defile Claudius Crozet's handiwork with bloodshed, especially mine. Cooper kept silent. If you don't toss out your weapon, I'm going to throw in the gasoline-soaked rag and just... And just the tiniest Molotov cocktail I happen to have with me for the evening's enjoyment. I also have a gun, as I guess you know. It's Kelly's. When ballistics files it... When ballistics files its report on Bob Berryman, it will frustrate the stellar public servant Rick Shaw and tell him Bob was killed with a dead man's gun. It's nasty dying in a fire. And if you run out... I'll be forced to shoot you. If you throw out your weapon, Officer Cooper, perhaps we can make a deal. Something more lucrative than your vast public salaries, both of you. What was the deal you made with Kelly? Or Maud? Harry's voice, sharp and hard, reverberated through the tunnel. Kelly enjoyed excellent terms, but after four years at 20%, he got a little greedy. As you can see, there's enough stockpiled in the tunnel that I could dispense with the services with his services for the future. When my inventory runs low, I shall find another feckless fellow eager for profit. You used his paving enterprise. Of course. And his trucks. Harry, don't try my patience with the obvious. Officer Cooper, throw out your gun. First, I want to know why you killed Maud. It's obvious what she did, too. Maudie was a dear woman, but her ovaries ruled her head, I fear. You see, she really was in love with Bob Berryman. When business reasons compelled me to remove Kelly Craycroft from our board of directors, she didn't want to be an accessory to murder. Was she? No. But she became frightened. What if I were caught? And what if our profitable venture were disclosed? Berryman, stringing her along, kept telling her he would, ha he would leave Linda, and Maud loved that cretin. A shaky partner is worse than no partner at all. She could have given us away, or worse, she could have spilled the beans to Bob Berryman, pillow talk, who, with his amusing sense of honor, would have traipsed directly to the authorities. You see, poor Maud had to go. Now, darlings, I've indulged you long enough. Throw out the gun. And then he indulges them for like three more pages. But... <laughs> <laughs> He's like, can't, can't resist the stage. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. I, I appreciate your commitment to the accent work, which yeah. I never... <laughs> I, my accent traveled, I felt like... There was like a dash of weird Tim Curry with uh, Olivia Dukakis maybe in there. <laughs> like, it was a very cosmopolitan Southern accent, but thank you. It, oh, it took me straight through the tunnel to Crozet. Oh, I was there. Of course. The, straight to the tunnel to Crozet's heart. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to reader's advisory and suggest some stuff to read instead of or in addition to these books. Um, and for, I think you should just go and, and listen to a cat or dog and just see what they're trying to tell you. Yeah. 
I looked up as I as I said as a kid I read a lot of the Lillian Jackson Braun books um but also as I said the cats don't talk in those books but I did look up a bunch of other cozy series where the cats are the actual crime solvers and we'll have a list of those up on the website but uh just a couple of them are the witch cats of Cambridge by Clea Simon uh the Joe Gray series by Shirley Rousseau Murphy and Mid- Midnight Louis P.I. series by Carol Nelson Douglas. Uh, they all have great names. They do. These are world-class <laughs> names. Midnight Louis P.I. All right. Um, and Philip, do you have any suggestions? I do. Uh, I have a couple um, for, for varying degrees of this book. Uh, if you're looking for a book with animal-centric uh, narration. It's a very modern one, but uh, Kira Jane Burton's Hollow Kingdom is a really interesting read. It's sort of like a, it's set like post kind of like a zombie uh, outbreak, but it is told uh, from the point of view of a crow who mm. was was uh, befriended by a human and learned his words from that human. And so it's full of swears and uh, and like, and a dedication to Cheetos that always has like a TM at the top. Cause that's how he learned it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it's interesting because he encounters other crows, other animals, and they have their ways of thinking and speaking. And it's, it's you basically, you don't get this eugenics bullshit. You get, uh, oh, you nice. get, yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's very funny, uh, and very interesting in that way. And the other one that I almost always bring up. I feel like it's very underserved uh, is Blanche on the Lamb by uh, Barbara Neely. Now, this was also written around this time. I think it's 92, 91, something like that. Um, Barbara Neely, uh, sadly, has passed away and she wrote four books in this Blanche series. Uh, Barbara Neely Neely was a black woman and an activist also, but uh, she wrote this series about uh, Blanche, um, who is... uh, it starts out the first book. She like it's it's maybe like tax evasion or something, but she basically goes on the run uh, and she is a black woman living in the South and has to navigate that crap, but also keeps finding her herself in these situations where her perspective as either uh, uh, working as a cook or a uh, housekeeper or something is giving her more insight into solving mysteries and murder and stuff like that. And they are very well written and very insightful. And again, uh, you lose some of the bullshit that you have to deal with in this one. Um, you, it's a, it's a very strong advocate for more, let's say modern 2021 thinking 2022. Hmm. Love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, and of course, check out, uh, check out Phillips books as well. Yeah, you should also, <laughs> thank you. I'm always, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm so benevolent <laughs> that I forget about mine. Uh, yeah. If you, if you like, cozy mysteries that also don't have uh cat eugenics um mine are sort of like that uh i actually just released the second book in my series called the psychic barber mysteries and uh they're set in semi-modern los angeles uh about a woman danica lumen uh who has the she's a hairstylist but she also has secret psychic abilities and she just keeps getting uh these visions of murders and crimes and in the latest one uh, the homicidal hairstyle of the viral video vixen. Um, she <laughs> is solving a missing persons case 
uh, where a uh, like a YouTube creator has gone missing and her producer slash sister has gathered all of that woman's friends and boyfriends and ex-boyfriends uh, into their house to try to solve the crime. Dun, dun, dun. Ah. All right. And as Kate said, uh, we'll we'll have um, all of those up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. And now we are going to move on to The Rock Paper Snicked, which is, of course, the game where Kate says who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Philip can choose which most enhances the book or he can choose paper, which is to leave it as is. Okay. Uh, so if The Rock was in this book, uh, he would be a vague acquaintance of Mims. Um, Big Marilyn. Big Marilyn is always talking about how like she has, you know, all of these famous people who she calls on. And that was part of Josiah's scheme was that he would because um, Mims' husband, Jim, the mayor, didn't care about social shit. So she would always bring Josiah as her plus one to like big social soirees and stuff. And that's how he was scoping out furniture to steal. Um, but so they would have gone to like a fancy party and the rock would have been there. And, you know, he would have like politely chatted with her for a few minutes and social climbing Mim would have been like, Oh yes. She'd fawn all over him and decide they were best friends and would send him an invite. to little Marilyn's wedding, even though they're not actually friends. Um, but then he'd hear through the grapevine about what she did to Stafford, her son, and he would shame her amongst all of her rich friends and decline the invitation to the wedding, and it would ruin her socially. Uh, he would not particularly get involved with the murders. <laughs> okay. Yeah, good for him. Well, if Wolverine were in this book, he would stop by Market's Market to get some meat, of course, his favorite food, and he would listen to Pewter's side of things, Pewter the fat gray cat, and by the way, Wolverine would not body shame Pewter. That's important. Um, He would understand that what the animals were describing was the scent of cyanide because he also knows that cyanide smells like turtles. That's part of his senses as well. He would smell turtle breath on Josiah and get the whole thing squared away before Maud Bly Bly Modena's death. And then he'd go live in one of the railroad tunnels for a while. (laughs) Well, uh, those are great. And I I have to point out, just because I'm on this names thing, that like, Wolverine and The Rock would be like the 10th weirdest names in this book (laughs) if they were there. I like the like real world heroics of The Rock standing up to, uh, you know, the racism and and that stuff. But for the sake of the book, I am going to take the Wolverine side. I would I would like to have. I I like uh, the furry friends having a slightly less furry friend. Uh, who's an X-Men. Um, help them out. Yay. Um, but of course, we all win, um, except for Kelly, the first victim, RIP, RIP. <laughs> uh, and now, very important for this episode, it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte shares his opinions about the book. He has much to say. Duarte, you're so right. And I know, I guess technically you can't speak for all cats, but it is ridiculous to imply that cats have a capitalist work ethic. We we know that that's not true. We know that cats know that the best thing in life is simply to take a nap. And there's no reason why they would be judging 14-year-olds for not having jobs. Ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was interested, too, to hear about how you would solve the murder in a much more efficient way instead of fixating on the cyanide, which is something the humans were already aware of. Um, And I think maybe you should take your hand at at writing uh, your own Cozy Mysteries starring cats. I know we're not as not super into murders, but like hit me up and I'll, you know, beta read for you. Yeah. And you and I would also encourage Duarte, like write the book that you want. It doesn't even have to be a cozy mystery about cats. You can write the book about train tunnels that you want to write that I bet would be very interesting from a cat's point of view. Absolutely. Uh, All right. Well, Duarte, thanks as ever. I'll let you get back to your very important nap now. Uh, Do any humans have any closing thoughts? Um. Hmm. No. (laughs) (laughs) My closing thought is get well soon. Wish you were here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think we've thought a lot about it, but it's, 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 it's I got all these thoughts and it's just, mm, no, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's weird when you have, like you say, the, the author of this stature and then you're applying, it's, I, I, I'm trying not exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm trying not to hold somebody. I'm trying not to hold somebody to today's standards for something that they did back then. That for then may have qualified as one thing or the other. Maybe they didn't think about. But then again, we're reading it now, and you're like, oh, you know, dude, that's uh, not. Uh, I'm stumbling. This is my like flailing hands, Kate. This is my my version of just like I can't. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's as, as succinct of a closing thought as I would I would hope for about this book. Um, I mean, it, well, and also it should have had a turtle in it, and yeah, and it missed should opportunity. Have a turtle in it. Missed opportunity. Um, if you want to come talk to us, um, maybe let your cats type their anti-capitalist rants on the keyboard. I would love to read them. Uh, we are on Facebook and Instagram at Worst Bestseller, spelled normally. Um, we're on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S because the um, the S on the ink smudged off in the post office, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, you can find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all of the places where you find podcasts. And if you do find us, please take a moment to subscribe and rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review, then we are going to send you threatening postcards in the mail. Uh-oh. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you get a small, you give us a small monthly recurring donation that we use to do things like keep our website up and buy new equipment and uh, pay artists to design new merch for us. And in exchange, you get all sorts of perks, including an actual non-murdery postcard that mm-hmm. we sign that we will send to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've nice. got merch available. <laughs> by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the merch tab on our website, including new designs in our new Tee Public store. And uh, if you are a patron, you should check out the Patreon newsletter uh, to see a discount code for that store. And it's finally, a secret. <laughs> it's a Patreon secret. And finally, we do have a Discord server that you can also find linked on worstbestsellers.com where you can join other listeners to talk about, you know, your favorite postmarks or your favorite turtles or really whatever you would like to talk about. Yeah. Um, And if you want to just 
you know, just talk to me personally. I'm on social media at Renata Snacks. And I am at social me on social media at 14 across. And Philip, where can people find you if they want to talk to you about turtles or your books? <laughs> Especially <laughs> turtle books. Um, they can find me at Philip Mottas, um, uh, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-M-O-T-T-A-Z. But if you just do an internet search for uh, Philip Psychic Barber Mysteries or honestly look for like murderous haircut Philip or something like that, or viral video vixen Philip Mottas, look for that one. Um, I'm probably the only one writing <laughs> about uh, psychic barbers uh, solving murders. So you can find mm. me that way. <laughs> we as a podcast will be back in two weeks with Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert, which was chosen by our Patreon patrons. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. A few days after this, uh, uh, sorry, let me start again. Um, my brain is doing great.